0: The story about seeing the start of a marathon from their room in a high rise hotel. And it got one of them thinking about marathons. And so when I walked into the restaurant last night, she said, Kim, I have this idea of something I might want to try. Do you think it's possible to walk a marathon? Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. For those of you who are listening for the first time, my name is Kim Peek, and it is my mission to get you moving more and to help you think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Before we get started today, head over to my website at www.crushingmygoals.com slash crush dash next. I want you to sign the pledge and join me in committing to optimism, challenging ourselves, remaining active, seeking adventure, and forming real connections that enrich our lives. You'll get access to a free community of people who have also signed the pledge, and I'll send you some emails and videos to help you make some changes that will help you crush whatever is next in your life. So my girls and I are back from a vacation to Savannah, Georgia and Tybee Island. We rented a VRBO on Tybee Island that was just a short walk from the beach. And we spent a lot of time playing in the water and the sand. And there is just nothing as relaxing to me as floating in the ocean. And it was so exciting to see a pod of dolphins that swam within 30 feet of us while I was out swimming one day. That was so cool because I just love being out. I love That's one of the reasons I love Hawaii is because I love being in the water. I love the, the whales and the dolphins and the turtles. I just think it's just the most amazing environment. So that was definitely a highlight of our trip was having those dolphins swim right past us. We also did some shopping and we took a ghost tour. Since Savannah is said to be the most haunted city in America, I love Savannah, and I'm thrilled that I'll get to go back two more times this year, once when I move my daughter into her dorm, and then again in November when I go back for the uh, Savannah Rock and Roll Marathon, which is also during the Savannah Film Festival, which all combined will make for quite the epic weekend. Since I have talked about optimism on the past few episodes, I wanted to share this little story from our trip. My girls like to sleep in, even on vacation, so I always welcome that since I like to get up and run. It was over 100 degrees every day of our trip, so if I wanted to run, I knew I needed to get up early to get a head start on it, which would make the temperature, what, maybe 80 while I was running and very, very humid. Running on vacation is one of my favorite things to do because it's a chance to explore a new city on foot and just get a chance to check out things that might not be on the normal tourist path. So I do really enjoy running while I'm on vacation, but that is only part of my story because it's where my story begins. My story begins after my run. One morning I was sitting in the kitchen with Sarah and I had just gotten back from running. The other two girls were still asleep, and Sarah was preparing a bagel for her breakfast. There was only half a bagel in the package because Katie had asked the night before if it was okay for her to make herself half a bagel. So Sarah starts in grumbling about the half bagel she found. Why did Katie think it was okay to leave just a half bagel in the bag? And she is furious, a furious, hungry teenager who is looking forward to eating a whole bagel to spread her new concoction on. We bought this honey from the Savannah Bee Company, and the girls thought it was delicious to spread this honey over cream cheese on a toasted bagel. And it was delicious. So she's ranting about her sister and why did she leave this half a bagel in the package? And I just look at her, because I, I just can't even figure out what she is upset about. And I say, would you rather that she had toasted a whole bagel last night and thrown away half? Then you would have no bagel this morning. But because she didn't waste food, you now have half a bagel. To me, this is such a simple example of positivity and gratitude, but I think it shows How we can change our thinking in little ways. We can choose to be happy because what is? Oh, there's half a bagel. Or we can focus on the negative and be upset about what isn't. Where is the other half of the bagel that I had my heart set on eating? Such a simple way to just change the way you think about things and have it change your life in a positive way. I also took two pictures on one of our nightly trips into Savannah that I also thought demonstrated mindset. There's a shopping and dining area that runs along the river that is appropriately called River Street. And one of the ways down from the downtown area to the riverfront area is to take these steep, uneven concrete steps. Near the stairs, there's a sign that says, Historic Steps, Use at Your Own Risk. And people are very slow and careful walking up and down these stairs. But every time I see the sign, I smile because I think of all the other labels that they could put on these stairs. Historic steps sounds better than old steps or creaky steps or steps that are about to fall down. They actually aren't ready to fall down. But historic steps just places them in a more positive light, right? And use at your own risk sounds a lot better than fall hazard. And because people have been warned about the potential danger, because they are very, very steep and uneven, they're not all equally distant, so each step feels different as you step. Have you ever run or walked up and down steps where in your house you just know you don't have to look at your feet? If you run up or down your stairs, you know that every however many inches, the step is going to be exactly the same. Last summer, we had our steps all replaced and the people didn't actually make them perfect. And the first couple times up and down those stairs, I almost fell because you get used to your foot landing at this prescribed distance. And all of a sudden, it's like somebody took the floor out from underneath you. Anyway, so back to these stairs. They, they aren't really, really that dangerous, but they, they are something that you need to pay attention to when you're on the stairs. And because people have been warned about their potential danger and of their historic significance, it seems kind of cool to take these stairs rather than it's also faster because you'd have to walk the long way around and go down a different path. And people are mostly patient because usually when you take these stairs, traffic is going, either everybody's coming up or everybody's going down. You usually don't have people going both directions on the stairs at the same time. So you usually find yourself in a group waiting to finish, waiting for the next group to finish before you start. So just the fact that they have called them historic steps really affects how people look at these. All of a sudden, it's this special step that we're going to be patient so that we can go down and they're not dangerous and they're just special. And just the label affects how we think about that and how we approach others on those stairs. And I think that that's a great lesson for thinking about any label that we slap on ourselves or on our loved ones or any situation we encounter, encounter. The words you use matter And those labels that you assign things matter. And it affects how you think, which affects how you behave in those situations. When we got to the bottom of the stairs, I had to take another picture of the road. There was a brick path on a cobblestone road. And the people would walk from the stairs to River Street on this narrow path that was defined by the bricks. And occasionally you'd see a person or a small group step off that path and walk on the cobblestones, cobblestones to get past the mass of people. And it reminded me a little bit of a bunch of zombies following one another in a zombie movie. And and maybe I only thought that because we were on our way one of those nights to a ghost tour. But we are so quick to follow the leader or follow the path that is laid out for us. That we don't often think about going outside the lines. We shouldn't be afraid to step off the path or forge our own path or to walk a little outside the lines. We shouldn't be afraid of making our own way. So those were just a few of the things that I encountered on our vacation that just made me reflect on some of the life, the mindset issues that we talk about on the podcast. On the topic of forging our own path, if you listen to the last episode, you know I have plans to do some triathlons again this summer after taking a three-year break. And I can't believe it's been three years. I don't know how time flies that fast, but it has. It's been three years. And I put this in the category of forging my own path because I haven't done any triathlons for the last few years because I didn't want to be slow. I didn't want people to pity me or laugh at me or feel sorry for me because I can't perform at the level I could before breast cancer. And so a few weeks ago, I decided that I would do exactly what I've been telling all of you. Just do the race with no expectations of how I will do. I keep telling all of you to get out there and move and keep reminding you that it doesn't matter how fast you go. And I keep telling you that it doesn't matter if you have to walk. So I'm going to do this and I am not going to worry about how I do. Because next year, I want all of you, all of you out there, to be racing with me, whether you're walking or running or doing a triathlon or rowing, whatever your thing is, I want you out there challenging yourselves and being active and doing this with me. So I'm going to do this knowing I'm going to be at the back of the pack to show myself and all of you that nothing bad happens when you finish at your own pace, whatever that pace may be. And if you were expecting an update today, well, when I recorded last week, I had my weeks totally off. And I my race was not last Saturday, but I will be racing the next two weekends, this Saturday and then the following week on Sunday. And so I will update you on how this goes after I have actually done the race. Last night, I went out with a group of my triathlon friends, that group of friends that I'm always talking about who we all did our first triathlon together several years ago. Not everyone comes to our Saturday morning workout. So we try to stay together by celebrating birthdays and other special occasions. And on a lot of the birthdays, what we do is we take turns. The birthday person gets to plan an activity that we all do together. So a lot of our activities, our get togethers do not revolve around food, but they revolve around some active thing that we're all going to do together. And I think I've told you about this in the past. We've done bocce ball. We did stand-up paddleboarding a couple weeks ago. We've gone hiking. We've done yoga. It just kind of depends on what the birthday person wants. Last night, we had a dinner out because we were celebrating one of our friends who had moved away. She was visiting, and so it was a great excuse to get together. And when we all got together... She and another one of the women had just returned from a professional conference and they told the story about seeing the start of a marathon from their room in a high-rise hotel. And it got one of them thinking about marathons. And so when I walked into the restaurant last night, she said, Kim, I have this idea of something I might want to try. Do you think it's possible to walk a marathon? And I might have hesitated just a little bit too long. And that's because I was trying to do some math in my head. My answer was yes. Yes, you can walk a marathon. But I might have hesitated just a little because I was trying to figure out how long it would take to walk a marathon. Most marathons have course time limits. So the really the only potential obstacle would be finding the right marathon, one that provided enough time. And it really comes down to how fast you're able to walk and then also finding a marathon where the course is open long enough so that you can finish. So if you walked a 20-minute mile, you'd need just under nine hours to finish. And I started looking for marathons that had longer course limits. And there really are a lot more options if you can get closer to the eight-hour or less range, which I'm confident a person could do If they train, because if you are walking on a regular basis and you're working on building up speed, you're not going to stay at that 20 minute per mile walk pace for very long. And who knows if you went out and started walking today, you might not even be there right now. So I really do think that somebody could get closer to that eight hour range. And I'm sure also... If you're willing to travel and do a little bit of digging, it's absolutely possible to find one that gives you even more time than the eight hours. But I know lots of people who do a run walk or have gotten really good at just speed walking who could definitely finish that marathon in eight hours or less. I think I looked also at the Disney marathon that they do in Orlando every January, and I think that one had maybe a seven and a half hour cutoff. So lots of fun courses that you could do if you can just work on that endurance along with some speed. And I'm going to tell you how to do that as we get into this podcast. So for anyone who might be intrigued by this idea, let's talk a little bit about how to train to walk or maybe run walk your first marathon. But I'm going to focus mostly on the walking and if I don't say run, you can kind of, Do that in your own mind and adapt what I'm saying to running. But we're going to focus mostly on walking here today. Before you panic and start thinking it's impossible to walk a marathon, think about all the things you learn to do one step at a time. You don't start kindergarten able to read a college-level engineering book. You don't start middle school with the voice of an opera singer. You don't go from scribbling in your coloring book to creating amazing works of art overnight. And you don't go from the couch to walking or running a marathon overnight either. Each week, you will build on the previous week. Just like we talk about on the podcast all the time, walking your first marathon will also be achieved with consistent action that you repeat over several months. Every day, every week, you are going to get better than you were the day or week before. And it's putting in that consistent effort over time And progressing the amount of time you spend walking, just taking those baby steps week after week that is going to get you to going from maybe being completely on the couch to being able to run your first or walk your first marathon. So if it's not so overwhelming, I would suggest breaking the goal into smaller chunks Maybe focusing first on walking your first 5K, then walking your first 10K, then a half marathon before getting to the marathon. You don't have to do it in that order, but it might be more motivating if you can break it into smaller chunks so that you're feeling success along the way. If So first things first, how do you start training for a 5K and how long does it take to train for a 5K? If you're completely inactive right now, I think you could be prepared to walk a 5k in 8 to 10 weeks. If you have been active and doing things, you're going to be able to do that a lot quicker. But keep in mind too that if you take that 8 to 10 weeks to train, you're going to have the opportunity to work on speed within that time frame where somebody who is newer to movement might Their primary goal is going to be to just finish, to cross the finish line. Since it's always nice to have a goal, you could start by choosing a goal race that is eight to 10 weeks out. This will help keep you accountable and it's going to help keep you progressing in the time spent on your feet each day. If you know that two or three months from now, you have to be able to show up at the start line of a race and you want to be able to finish it. That's going to keep you getting out of bed and lacing up your shoes every day. If you go to Google and type in 5K races near me, you're going to get a ton of links for local races as well as websites that exist to help people find races. There's a lot of websites that are just catalogs where a race director will submit their race to be listed on these websites. Kind of a clearinghouse so that you can just go to one of those websites and look for a race that fits your distance, your month, or even your location where you want to race. Your local running store will probably also have races listed on their website or their Facebook page, or they're going to have flyers and races in the store. And if you're going to start running or walking and you don't already have a quality pair of shoes that are designed for your activity... I would suggest going to your local running specialty store. I really prefer that over a big box store or a generic store. Go find your local people who are out in the community who specialize in running and walking. Have them fit you for a shoe. See how you walk in it. Make sure it's comfortable. Have an expert help you find the right shoe. Don't just go randomly buy a shoe. That is another getting started tip for you. Once you have a race picked out, you are going to start walking at least three times a week. Your starting point is going to be wherever you are comfortable right now. So if you haven't been walking at all, you might be happy today with a five-minute walk. If you already walk the dog for a mile each day and it takes you 30 minutes, you can use 30 minutes as your starting point. If you walk a 20-minute mile, your... 5K will take you just over an hour to walk. So we are going to set a goal for your first race of building up to walking about one hour at a time as your long walk distance. Again, if you're already at any of these numbers I'm throwing out, just adjust them from there. But we want the amount of walking that you do to be challenging, but still something that is motivating. If you set that bar too high, You're going to dread that walk each day and then you're going to start skipping it. And remember, consistency is the most important thing you can do. So even on a day where you're scheduled to walk and you just cannot make it fit into your day, commit to yourself that you are going to walk for five minutes even on those bad days or two minutes. Whatever it is, you come up with a distance that is doable even on an off day so that you are still maintaining that habit of being consistent. For the first month, you are only going to walk on the three days a week that you walk. As you progress, you're going to add in some days where you have faster bursts of walking. And then you'll also add in some days where you walk hills or where you explore a new trail or maybe you hike. But for the first month, I want you only to walk on those three days a week and not think about any of these extra things. Those are progressions, ways to make your walking more challenging, and you're going to need that as you progress, but you don't need that for your first month while you're trying just to build that habit. Now, when you begin any exercise program, it's important to remember that your body needs time to get used to the new activity. You're not just building endurance and getting your heart and lungs used to walking or running. You're also getting used to having a higher heart rate and being sweaty. And these are changes that surprisingly happen rather quickly. You do need to ease into walking and running, though, to give your joints and ligaments time to adapt. Your joints and ligaments will adapt more slowly than any of the other physiological things that happen to your body. So... This is just really important, and it's one of the biggest reasons that people get hurt. Doing too much too soon is a recipe for injury. So pay attention to how your body feels. Start out walking or running three days a week, and if your body isn't feeling it, take an extra rest day or do a cross-training activity that doesn't involve impact on your feet. I'm really talking to adults in this episode but since middle school and high school cross-country season is upon us, I'm going to share this example. One of the reasons that we see so many students getting injured a few weeks into the season is because of this too much too soon thing. And usually the students who get shin splints at the beginning of cross-country season typically are the ones who didn't keep up with their training over the summer. Either they weren't running their endurance runs, or maybe they were... Skipping their speed work. And now the season has started and they're running five days a week, maybe six days a week. And they are trying to run faster so that they can keep up with the other people on the team and their bodies because they've taken time off. They aren't their bodies just aren't used to this anymore. And so it's kind of like starting from scratch. And often they also haven't been doing any other strength and conditioning work over the summer. So they also have a weak core. And all of this combined leads to things like shin splints and ankle injuries that will suddenly keep a cross-country runner benched or sidelined while everybody else is out running. All of a sudden, they have too many aches and pains. And sometimes in a program, your coach might have you switch to running in a pool, but not all schools even have that as an option. But you can keep training with pool running, which is also another great option for adults who are running or walking, is to do some pull training, either if you get injured or as you're cross-training on your off day. It's a super safe way to build that cardio, keep your heart rate high without the impact that might have gotten you hurt in the first place. It is common also for ankles, feet, and calves to feel achy after you walk or run. But if you experience pain while you are training or any body part goes from achy to painful and stays that way for more than a few days, it's time to stop your training and seek medical attention. And I'm not saying you need to stop altogether, but you want to hold back, you want to back off long enough to have a medical professional take a look and advise you on the next steps. Let's see, what other rules are there? What other things are there to consider? A good rule of thumb when starting out is to take at least one day a week off. And this goes for whatever athletic pursuit you're working toward. Your body needs one day a week to rest. So I would suggest walking or running those three days a week like we talked about. And then in between, put a rest day or do an alternate cross-training activity like the elliptical or swimming or cycling. It's also a good idea to develop a full-body warm-up routine that involves warming up your feet and ankles, and this doesn't need to be super fancy. I like to do a series of inchworms, planks where I alternate bringing each foot up into a lunge from that plank, something called bottoms up that kind of looks like quick squats done while in a forward fold, and then also some rotational movements. And if I go through that a few times, that will almost always just to help my entire body loosen up so that I can run pain-free. And that is what we are going for here, running or walking pain-free. As I mentioned, it is also critical to develop a routine where you are consistent and to remember that you don't have to do all of this overnight consistency over time will equal success. So get out your calendar and schedule your three walks or three runs a week in your calendar. And then also write down, make make space in your calendar for what you're going to do on those remaining three days, whether that's a 10-minute strength routine or some other cross-training activity. Write those, schedule those in your calendar. Make sure they get done. That way you're going to develop a habit that gets you moving every single day. And the days you're not walking or running are perfect for a short strength training routine or a yoga class, which are all things that are going to help you be stronger as an athlete. And don't laugh that I called walkers athletes because you know race walking is an Olympic sport. Now, race walking is... There is a technique that you have to follow for it to be considered race walking. You have to have one foot on the ground at all times. I'm not going to get into the technique for race walking, but just know that some of those race walkers can walk a whole heck of a lot faster than your average everyday marathoner. So don't think of walking as not being an athletic pursuit because walking is an Olympic sport. Now, you've written your walking days into your calendar and you've scheduled your cross training. That remaining day, your rest day, doesn't need to be boring. You can think of your rest day as a self-care day, a day to pamper yourself or to do something you ordinarily wouldn't do. Remember that you need one full rest day a week, no matter what thing you are doing. A more experienced athlete might choose to walk on their rest day, and that's okay that might be rejuvenating for them. A newer athlete might need to stay off their feet. And another form of self-care that you might consider for your rest day is to get a massage or to make a point of foam rolling on that day or to take a hot bath and soak your, your muscles on that day. If you hate the idea of taking a day off, think of your rest day as a rejuvenation day and plan activities that help your body recover. Keep in mind also that this is key because what we're trying to do is manage the stress that our body has. Keep in mind that stress increases cortisol and elevated cortisol can affect recovery and it can also make it harder to regulate metabolism. So, you know, if you're running or walking as because you're trying to get in better shape and one of those things you have as a goal is maybe to lose weight. If you're not managing the stress in your life and the stress that you're throwing at your body, your cortisol is going to be elevated, which is going to make it harder to lose weight, to maintain weight, to regulate your metabolism. A few things you can do. If you aren't meditating on a regular basis, your rest day could be a good day to incorporate meditation. And meditation doesn't have to be some weird thing. It could be sitting in a room trying to clear your mind of your thoughts For just five minutes, you could start at one minute or two minutes and build up the amount of time you're able to sit still over time also week by week at another minute. Meditating is a good idea. Yoga is an excellent idea as long as it's a restorative form of yoga and basically any other activity that is going to help you relax your mind and body is a good activity to try on your rest day. Here's another one of my favorite topics. Athletes like to think of warmups and stretching and foam rolling and strength training as fluff that isn't important. But I would like to encourage you to get those things on your calendar and treat them as part of your plan. I would rather see you run or walk one less day a week if that means that you're going to make time for the other things that really turn out to be equally important. So let's say you picked your race. You're walking three days a week. How do you progress this training so that you're working up to walking a full 5K or eventually walking a full marathon? Each week, you're going to add just a little bit of time to the time that you spend walking. So if you started out with a 15-minute walk, the next week you could shoot for 20 minutes each time you go out. After a month, one of these walks can include hills. And a few weeks later, you can add some speed work to one walk each week. As an example, you could set a timer and walk faster for two minutes and then go back to your normal pace for two minutes, alternating that for 30 minutes. Or you could completely wing it. The idea is that you're going to start working on walking faster for a portion. And then you'll have different combinations of how long you'll walk Basically training just like a runner would do their speed work, except for a walking version of those same types of activities. Once you build up to 30 minutes of walking, you can keep two days a week as right at that 30 minute time. Just walk for 30 minutes, two days of those weeks, and then choose one day that's going to be your long walk day. And then just keep adding five minutes to that amount of time each week. Now, I'm going to try to write this all up in a blog post eventually so you can kind of see what I'm talking about, visualize how this all works. I'm just kind of giving you some ideas right now on how you can start increasing the intensity and also increase your distance and how you might put those things together in a training plan. You, of course, can always hire a coach, but if you don't want to hire a coach, these are some of the rules of thumb that you would use to put together your plan. Two weeks before your race, you're going to want to cut back on your training so that your body has time to recover before the big day. And then after your first 5K, you are going to take a week or two of reduced walking before jumping back into training and jumping back into the increases of distances and intensity so that you can start working on training for your 10K distance. So again, you will want to go back to one of those race websites and try to find your next goal race. And, and maybe w- while you're doing that, you count ahead a couple of months and you figure, you know, I think I'll be ready, be ready for a half marathon by then. Maybe pick out your half marathon at that time also. Once you've been at it a while, you can start to do some goal setting and record keeping, and you're going to know how long it takes you to walk a mile. And on speed days, you can push yourself to try to beat that time. Kind of make a game of it. I know that I ran around or walked around this block and it took me 30 minutes last time. Let's see if I can get it in 29 minutes and 45 seconds the next time. Or whatever, whatever works with your distances and your training. But kind of make a game of it. And you don't have to push yourself like that every single week. Maybe every couple of weeks, just challenge yourself a little bit. If you are interested in learning to walk a marathon, or if you just want to see what you're capable of, I encourage you to sign this pledge on my website and join us in the Movement for Life group. Here's what the pledge says. Let's make a commitment. Let's commit to optimism, challenging ourselves, remaining active, seeking adventure, forming real connections that enrich our lives. So just complete that form and you're going to join our community and get connected with women who are committed to living their best lives through sport. And I don't care how old you are or what your experience level is, everyone is welcome. I just want to help you get moving and feel better and make a commitment to... Just doing all the things I just mentioned. Optimism, challenging yourself, and being active, and having great adventures with fun people. I am going to talk more about this on Friday. So send me your questions about walking a marathon or any other training topic. And we are going to touch on more of your questions on Friday. Until then, have a great day. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm Coach Kim Peek of Power of Run, and you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe. As a new podcast, your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week and I will catch you next Tuesday.